This is Anya Viktorovich, and you're listening to The Rescue Radio. In June 2019, four climbers climbed Liberty Ridge. I have Yev here with me today to talk about their five-day trip ordeal on the mountain. Hi, Yev. Hi. Hi. How are you? Thank you for being here. My pleasure. Absolutely. Can you tell us something about yourself? Sure. Uh, well, I was born in the country of Ukraine and moved to the United States when I was 13 years old. Moved to New York, New York City, so far from the mountains, and spent the next 14 years of my life, or even more maybe, in New York, kind of dreaming about the outdoors for for a while. Eventually, I had some really great mentors who got me into the mountains. And for the past maybe 18 years, I've been climbing, uh, first making big trips from the East Coast, and maybe for the past nine years I've been out here in the Northwest. Yeah, and yeah, I've been very lucky to be able to explore. Let me guess, you moved here for the mountains? Yeah, in a large <laughs> in a large way, it was for the mountains, it was for the outdoors. Yeah, all those trips we made from New York really sparked uh, this, this love for being outdoors. So you have to tell us about your trip up Liberty Ridge. Let's start with how many people were on a trip, what were their experience, and then what happened? Sure. Uh, it was four of us, and the three people that were with me all came from the East Coast. Two of them were pretty experienced mountaineers. They, uh, First of all, they were mostly from Russia or the countries that were part of the Soviet bloc, ex-Soviet bloc. Two of them had experience back in Russia, climbing mountains, and also here in the United States. One of them did not have a mountaineering experience, but is a very experienced ice climber, and this is how they knew each other. I knew them from some trips that we've been on before, the two people, uh, Vasily and Constantine, came out uh, here to the West Coast a couple of times to climb with me. And Vasily, this was his first time leading a trip, uh, but he has been on a lot of international trips. He has climbed uh, Denali in 2017, so a year prior. Was very experienced in a lot of situations from good good times in the mountains to maybe more severe times in the mountains. And Vasily and I were concerned about the person who not had mountaineering experience. And we had talked about how we would um, time our ascent and check in to see what condition each person was in, make sure that if something is wrong, that we would turn back to mitigate that. But we decided to go on with it yeah with the team and can you describe the route for our listeners because i know at some point you kind of go beyond the point of return it's easier to go over the summit correct if you could explain how the route looks like and maybe what are what are the factors you have to think about when when you are getting on a route sure yeah liberty ridge is is this really beautiful 
ridge that is between these two huge uh, walls, Willis Wall and Liberty Wall. Uh, both of these walls have these huge uh, Siracs overhanging them. On the, and then there's a glacier below the ridge, the Carbon Glacier, huge, huge glacier. Um, to, uh, to get to the ridge, you have to hike in from the, uh, it's, it's almost the same hike that you do to get to the Emmons Glacier, but then you go over Curtis Ridge and eventually end up on the very far north side of Curtis Ridge. And, uh, this is where you make first camp. From camp, you cross the Carbon Glacier to get up to Liberty Ridge. And um, there is some danger of avalanches coming down Liberty Wall when you are en route to, to the ridge. In fact, we saw one big one when we were on the ridge already. Mm-hmm. Once you cross from the Carbon Glacier onto the ridge, you begin this steep ascent mostly snow that's around 3,000 feet of just steep snow. Mm-hmm. The one thing that happens is there's a big cliff that is just at the ridge crest that can shed rocks when it's warm or when the sun comes out in the morning. And you kind of want to get to the top of the, to the crest of the ridge before rockfall happens. Mm-hmm. Have to move really fast if, if you're doing this at night. Then at the top of the ridge or the crest of the ridge, there's a camp called Thumb Rock because of the prominent rock that sits there. And usually people camp there. There's not a lot of space to camp, but uh, there is some for a few parties when it's considered to be a point of no return because then you're starting to climb through this system of steep snow and rock bands and sometimes ice and... Uh, when it gets warm, uh, there could be slides, there could be uh, rockfall. So you really do not want to go back or be in that section during the warmth of day. After you, there's this feature called Black Pyramid, which is a huge, this big rock band that you kind of climb up above. Uh, and you get into some ice climbing, not very steep ice, but at 12,000, 13,000 feet when you're pretty exhausted, it could be uh, kind of a difficult undertaking to climb through that ice. Uh, once through the ice band, uh, you get up to what is considered to be the crux of the route, which is this Berkshund that you have to find your way across a very, very big crevasse. There are multiple possibilities. You can either climb some steeper ice or find some ramps that go across. Um, and then once past the Berkshund, the climbing eases up and you're just taking a ramp up to Liberty Cap and then saddle and crater of the mountain if you choose to go mm-hmm. for the crater. So just for reference, Camp Curtis is at 7,200 feet? I believe that's, yeah, it's around 7,200 and then Thumb Rock is at 11,000, you said? I think so, yes. Okay, yeah. so that um, 11,000 is, is the, the highest you can go if, if you want to turn back. And Thumb Rock is 11,000, you said? Yeah, I believe so, 10,800, 10, 11,000. Okay, so that's really the last place where, where you can retreat from. Yeah, I, I think uh, it's a little bit tricky, but it is possible to descend from that point. Okay. 
Okay, so tell us what happened. How, what led to spending four nights on the mountain? Well, our original plan was the standard plan to go up and camp at Thumb Rock um, and get acclimated by sleeping up in high camp. However, the week before, we we read about a party that got hit by a very significant rockfall mm. up at Thumb Rock area, and they had to be airlifted. One person unfortunately died in that accident. It was a summer where the temperatures were abnormally high, and that actually created this situation of um, abnormally bad rockfall on the mountain. So we made the decision of still going for it. However, as an option to just skip Thumrock, start very early climbing from Curtis Camp and just go up to the summit and maybe sleep in the crater or somewhere nearby to Evans Glacier. And um, we had some friends who were in a different group following us who were also planning to do the same. They were a little bit later than us, but it kind of gave us a little bit of a sense of security and also maybe just knowing that there's another party on the mountain that if anything goes wrong we can join forces and just get through whatever we need to get through safety numbers yeah yeah safety numbers you know experience the 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 other party also were pretty experienced they were people that uh vasily who uh, organized my trip climbed an alley with so they all knew each other very well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we decided we're going to be very careful. We're going to monitor each other and monitor our progress. If we are making slow progress, we would turn back. If anybody was struggling, we would you know, make sure to either stop or turn back before the point of no return on the mountain. So we were ready to retreat if, if that was necessary. And that's what we did. Uh, we set out and we made pretty good headway across Carbon Glacier and up the snow slope. I've done a lot of steep snow since that year, so I felt really about it. Uh, I felt really good about leading it and doing it kind of quickly, efficiently. Uh, we were roped up. We were just simul climbing the entire slope. And we got to Thumrock before sunrise, which was our main objective because with the sunrise, the rockfall starts. However, maybe because it was warm, we already started seeing rocks falling. And at that point, we just decided to go as fast as possible. And again, I was I was feeling really good, so I was just moving really fast. Folks I was climbing with, they were struggling a little bit at that point because we had been climbing fast for the past several hours. But I just wanted to get through the section where the rockfall was mm-hmm. was bad. And we just kept on moving. And uh, Ross, the person who has not had altitude experience, he has been struggling more than everybody else and asking for a break we told him that we will take a break but we need to get to a safe place and some hours later uh we did end up getting to a safer place where we were not in danger of rockfall took a long break there 
at that time, the team that was behind us came up to us. They were moving faster. Just past us, we told them that, you know, we were probably getting pretty slow, but they would try to follow them. And it felt really good to me that they were kind of laying down the tracks that we could follow. And we tried to keep up with them. Uh, we put Ross in the lead because we wanted him to set the pace for the rest of our team. And it actually helped for him to be able to see the team ahead of us and follow them and also go at his own pace at the same time. We ended up getting to the top of Black Pyramid in pretty good time. Uh, actually found a place to get some more water uh, for us to, to um, kind of recharge ourselves. And then uh, we got to the part where the ice climbing started. The plan was that we would pitch it out, that we would be um, just belaying a person, a leader, and then everyone else would be coming up on fixed line behind. But at that point, we saw that Russ was really struggling with the, the climbing. So we tried to find another way uh, kind of go around the ice an easier way through snow and that took us somewhat off route we lost sight of the team ahead of us and kind of ended up climbing into this loose rock scree snow combination and uh it was getting late already it was getting to be afternoon like four o'clock uh we knew that we would not be able to be moving for a long time because Russ was uh, Russ really was begging us to stop at that point. He needed to take an extended break. Uh, he kind of kept falling down and wobbling around, and it was a very dangerous territory to be uh, falling. Um, we couldn't really self-arrest in that part of the mountain. So we decided to make a baby for the night. We had radios with us, and we still were able to talk to the team ahead of us. And we told them that we would be spending the night because Ross was not feeling very well. And how uh, high up were you at the time? I believe we were around 13,000, maybe so 13,200. Were, were you above the Samrock? Oh, yeah, yeah. We, were, yeah. we were definitely in a place where going down was not a good option, uh, especially with somebody who wasn't handling themselves so well. So, yeah, we made the camp there wasn't much to really make camp on it was a very tiny ledge where maybe two of us could sit at a time and oh, the rest yeah. of us were kind of just and you had a whole out. night ahead of you and we had a night ahead of us the wind was picking up uh, we knew that there would be a storm coming in uh, it was expected the next day but it came in pretty early mm -hmm. that afternoon the wind was getting worse so we just kind of tried to secure our tent as well as we could. And at night, the wind got pretty bad, mm -hmm. that uh, such that a lot of the night we just kept coming off, coming out of the tent and trying to keep it from flying away. So no sleep at all. There wasn't much sleep at yeah. all, no. Um, yeah, we just tried to keep our stuff secure mm -hmm. and didn't quite succeed doing that because we still ended up losing a bunch of gear. Oh no, the blow away? Yeah, a sleeping bag uh, ended up flying away and my pack actually 
Uh, I saw in the morning that it was not there anymore. <sighs> it wasn't very well secured. But we kept the tent, even though it was pretty shredded mm -hmm. by that time. And then, yeah, in the morning, the wind calmed down a little bit. But Ross was in really bad shape. He was very hypothermic. Mm -hmm. And we were very worried about him. And so we tried to radio to our friends, mm -hmm. but couldn't reach them by radio. Luckily, found a spot where a very momentary reception, which prompted me to call 911, because mm -hmm. we really just wanted to see if the park could fly a helicopter and get Russ off the mountain. The, the three of us, the other three of us, felt like we, we were fine to, to go and mm -hmm. to ascend the route mm -hmm. and descend Emmons. But we saw that Ross was in no shape to do that. We were really worried about his hypothermia. It was very funny because five minutes after I made the phone call, the helicopter appeared right next to us. That's nice service. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, I think, though, what happened was that Ross, uh, he didn't tell us about this, but he sent out a text message mm -hmm. to his girlfriend prior to me making the call. And... I think she actually initiated the uh, search and rescue and probably the helicopter was the result of her efforts. But mm -hmm. yeah, it was very interesting that it came. It, it doesn't usually takes, take five minutes. It yeah. usually takes hours for them right. to show up. That's, that's what we so expected. So that was pretty yeah. lucky. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we expected. Uh, you know, and they did their best to, to get close to us. However, uh, later, we learned that the wind was such that a helicopter could not really mm. fly close to the mountain. It was just, the wind was just funneling down the face of the mountain and just could not get close mm. to us. And it's so high up that the air is so thin, it's not easy either. No, it's yeah. very hard. It was very hard for them. Wow. We decided to get down a little bit to hopefully find the proper route up the mountain because we were still hoping to. Uh, find our way up and over. And uh, we set up repels, did a couple of repels. However, it took so long for us to get Russ down those two pitches of repel. It took us probably over an hour that we wow. knew at that time that getting down would be would be just very hard, it would not be an wow. option. Up was our only option. Mm. Now, the helicopter actually tried to bring us some supplies, but we did not really realize that they were bringing us supplies. You were thinking they're there to get you. We were thinking they were still trying to get close to us, so yeah. we kind of picked the best place we could for them to maybe bring a line down. And there was a person who was on the line, but they could not touch down even with the line. Uh, they ended up actually dropping the supplies lower down the mountain. And we ended up just settling down for the night in this kind of a quite a nice notch. Uh, I think it's, it's just a filled in crevasse down there but um it was a good it was a good place to spend the night for for us maybe protected us a little were bit. you able to get to the supplies they dropped no no they i think uh again later we learned that the supplies they dropped maybe a thousand feet lower Wow! and so we just kind of saw the helicopter fly away we just saw them disappear so, you know, below the black pyramid so that would be night two with now two 
sleeping bags and pretty shredded um, tent. Yeah, yeah, the, sh the tent was pretty shredded. The wind was picking up again. Uh, we still had some gas to make water and mm -hmm. we still had some power bars, but we we're kind of limited at this point on food and, and gas. How was the morale at the time? I think at the time we were still pretty, uh, you know, we we're pretty sure that we were on our way up. We just had to make sure that Russ was okay. Mm -hmm. We were debating whether we should split up and have two healthy people uh, go up and over and mm -hmm. talk to the rangers and make sure that people know the situation we're in because we really were not sure that, you know, that folks were aware of where we are exactly and what's going on with us. And then another person staying with Ross and waiting until the rescue comes. I was arguing against that. I think I might have been the only person arguing against mm -hmm. splitting up because to me it just seemed like if that happens we wouldn't have enough people on either team if something happened to one of the people mm -hmm. to really pull through it to me really and i don't know if it's the right thing to do or not but at the moment it seemed to me that the more able bodies we had on the team the more chance we had of of getting through if somebody else got injured or something else happened. Right, especially that you were off route, right? You we were, were off route. On the route. We so. couldn't really see the yeah. way it was. Uh, the whiteout kept coming in and out, um, the clouds. Um, so we, yeah, we didn't really know where we were going, yeah. how long it was going to take, what the dangers were, because with all the wind and all the Syracs above us, you know, we were, I was really concerned about ice fall and, and just uh, yeah. all kinds of things falling down on us. I mean, for what, for what it's worth, I think you made the right decision because what if the other party got lost? Now you have two parties missing on Correct. the mountain. Correct. So there, you need more resources. That's That was exactly, yeah. And, you know, one of my big concerns was that if the rangers were to try and get to us. Mm -hmm. First of all, they would either have to split up if we split up mm -hmm. uh, or they would be in this really bad situation. And I honestly, one of the most terrifying thoughts to me was to get more people into that situation where they would have to be rescued or right. just you know have their lives at stake. So yeah. I kind of just wanted us to move and and just try to get to a safer spot or as safe as possible so that if somebody was to reach us that they wouldn't be in danger mm -hmm. and that would just give us more chance of making through this so you survived the second night i assume it was sleepless as well it was uh i think we would get maybe like five minutes of sleep here and there but I think by that time we were all pretty hypothermic and so just trying to keep warm. Um, we kind of were sharing these two sleeping bags just as blankets uh, covering ourselves. But we made it through and again next morning we kept debating. We kind of kept trying to see if we could find the way. Uh, still low visibility but we thought that maybe we knew where we should be going. And then we saw a Chinook helicopter 
trying to approach us. Yay! Yeah, and <laughs> we, you know, we thought it was fantastic because I've seen rescues every year happen via Chinook, and I knew that these guys can do uh, some out of the world they things. are amazing yeah. yes yeah no i've seen amazing things so i thought well it would be no problem for them yeah. to get to us and we were pretty happy we thought okay maybe this is over you know maybe we won't have to do this for much longer but again as we learned later the wind was again funneling down the face of the mountain and did not allow the helicopter to get close so we watched them for a few hours they tried they they I think they made like two attempts mm. and then eventually they flew away. And at that point it was already too late for us to start moving. Yeah. So, that must have been a gut wrenching feeling to see them fly away. I think that really made the decision for us at that mm. point when they left, we said, all right, we're just going to walk our way to wherever we can get to. This is, mm-hmm. You know, it's up to us, really. So um, whatever it takes. And we kind of prepared Russ for this. We said, listen, we're going to spend another night here. But next morning, we're going to move, you know, whatever, however long it takes. Mm -hmm. And was the weather still deteriorating or was it getting better? The weather was, it was kind of steady. I think Mm -hmm. the wind was around like 40 to 50 miles per hour constant. We were lying on top of our tent walls because the bottom of the tent was completely shredded and uh, the walls we were just trying to keep them from, from flapping and from mm-hmm. uh, losing more gear. Uh, we had to have our feet out at all times because we had to have our crampons mm-hmm. into the snow. Uh, again, because otherwise the wind would be just moving us off the mountain. This is actually how I got frostbite. I had these pretty light boots because we were going light and fast. We were supposed to go, you know, in a single day, the whole push. But the wind, with the wind, with their feet being out, it was very cold. And I didn't want to take my boots off because I was worried about getting them back on. But finally, when I was able to take them off, uh, I had pretty significant uh, frostbite. Do you know how cold it got? Was it like 30s, 40s? It was probably below freezing the whole time. Maybe out of the wind, it wouldn't have been like that because it was supposed to be really warm. But I think in the wind, it was was below freezing. Mm. Yeah, so we had all our clothes on, all our, all our gear on. But we, yeah, we made it to that night. And then again, all night trying to keep the tent from, from flying away. And then at night, that third night, icefall finally did come down on us. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what else could go wrong? It was very interesting. It was a very interesting experience because I kept thinking... I mean, it it probably lasted only a few seconds, but it it felt like it lasted for like half an hour. And it landed on you? It, I think it landed mostly, uh, it flew over us because we were in this crevasse and we were kind of underneath this wall. Um, but some of it did land on us and some snow. And at first I thought it was an avalanche. And I remember thinking like, uh, are we getting dragged down the mountain right now? Like, could, no. I, could I tell if we were? But then we ended up just being somewhat buried and it wasn't too much. And in a way, once we kind of 
unburied and made some breathing holes for ourselves. It was a good thing because we were in a sort of a snow cave. Um, and mm-hmm. so I remember, I remember saying to my friend Vasily, who was next to me, I said, let's not dig ourselves out because this is actually really nice. It's comfortable. It's now. comfortable. Warmer. We can breathe. We can, you know, we're kind of warm. And so we ended up spending the rest of the night in that snow. And then in the morning, got out of the tent. It was completely broken at that point. All the poles were broken. So now you don't have a tent anymore. No. And that actually affirmed our decision to keep going, Mm -hmm. to go up and seek shelter up in the crater or whatever we could get to. So the mountain kept making decisions for you. That mountain is quite incredible. Yeah. It's it's definitely a mountain to listen to. Yeah. Yeah. As every mountain is. Um yeah, and it was the four of us and it was taking a while for us because Russ needed to rest a lot, so we would just maybe take a few steps and rest and mm-hmm. take a few more and rest and kind of just orient ourselves. But we had a pretty good idea that we were on the right path. We did have a track. We didn't have a really good GPS device because I had one, but it was in my backpack that was lost. It flew away. It flew away, yeah, so that wasn't available. But we did have a track, and we were kind of close to where we wanted to be. And eventually, we actually ended up making it through the Bergschrund and came up on top. That's where we got hit by very severe wind. Um, We couldn't see uh, around us, and we were just in this wind. It was very cold, so we just covered ourselves up with sleeping bags. I saw that the other folks were not really willing to go on. They really just wanted to settle down and go to sleep. And at that point, I kind of freaked out. And I just started yelling at them that we must keep going. If we stay here, we're going to die. We're going to freeze. We might not wake up, yeah. We will not wake up. And I was sure that that was the case. So I was I was really freaking out. But I think it worked. They listened to me. Got them moving. They got to moving. The wind kind of calmed down a little bit. And I remember I was at a point where I was talking to the wind. I was talking to the mountain. I was just begging it to just calm down a little bit, to just let us pass this, let us get to a safe place. And it did calm down a little bit. And we were able to make it to Liberty Cap. And Vasily, my friend, found this crevasse uh, that was big enough for all of us to get into, and all four of us got into it. It was high enough that it protected us from the wind, and we just kind of lined the bottom of the crevasse with our packs, uh, lay down, got our sleeping bags on top of us. I was even able to take my boots off at that point. And uh, we spent our fourth night mm-hmm. in the crevasse, which really was a safe haven for us. Yeah. And in the morning, we got up, and uh, it seemed like the wind was not as bad. Uh, It seemed like we had some visibility. Uh, We had just enough gas left for us to make one liter of tea. One funny thing is, was Vasily thought he had lost his stash of sugar that he brought. (laughs) And then he found it, uh, I believe, our fourth day on the mountain, he just found this huge bag of sugar. Oh, what a blessing. Yeah, and so we would just put that in our tea, just make it super sweet. Yeah. And that morning we just made this super sweet tea with the last of the gas that we had and pass around this one bar that we had left. 
and we just got out of the crevasse and walked over, made it over to the saddle, and we could actually see the the slope, the summit slope to go up to the crater. And uh, at that point, once again, my friends just lost their energy, and they just said that we're not going to be able to make it up there. Once again, just as I was about to freak out, uh, a helicopter showed up just above us, park helicopter. You know, it was a huge relief. We saw this helicopter. They saw us. They landed on the south cropping right behind us. Mm -hmm. Uh, We just ran to them. Mm -hmm. And I don't even know who was more relieved, them or us, but they were super relieved (laughs) that we were there. You know, they asked us, you you guys are the Liberty Ridge crew? (laughs) And we said, yes, yes, we are. Yes, uh, we need to go. And yeah, they got us into the helicopter, flew us down to their base camp, gave us a lot of Gatorade and, you know, just took care of us, uh, got us to the hospital. Mm-hmm. Amazing, amazing people. Uh, you know, they kept they kept going. They kept looking for us and really grateful to them for that. So they were looking for you for four days? Yeah, I believe, uh, you know, I later learned that this there was a big operation going on. And it was mainly Rainier Rangers, right? That's... It was Rainier Rangers. I do believe there were other search and rescue groups Apparently involved. National Guard, because the Chinook flew by. Yes, and, yeah. yes, exactly. National Guard, uh, paratroopers. I think there were other search and rescue groups that were maybe standing by to do some, uh, like a ground search or a, a ground rescue. Mm-hmm. But the helicopter uh, was was flown by the Mount Rainier Climbing Rangers, yeah. And I know you went back pretty soon after that. Yeah, I actually, I had pretty severe frostbite, but I lucked out. I didn't lose anything. And about two months later, I went back with my friends and climbed the Emmons mm-hmm. route that, that same year. And that was a very good experience it was a little hard at first Mm -hmm. psychologically i remember getting to camp sherman and and just being in this very difficult state i told my friend listen uh, i'm just gonna step aside here Mm -hmm. uh you know you put up a tent and and he was like yeah i get it man and i kind of stepped aside and i kind of like i don't know just had a moment Mm -hmm. But then the next morning we went up and the weather was nice and we made it to the summit and it was just beautiful to see, you know, the place where uh, we got lifted off. Mm. Yeah, it was very healing. Vasily and I, we uh, kept climbing together. We uh, went back to the mountain, climbed Cows Glacier uh, in the spring of 2020 i believe Mm, fantastic yeah it was also very healing for him because it was his first time back on mount rainier and then this past may of this spring we went back up liberty ridge uh, with a couple of other friends that we trust and uh we're very solid team together Mm -hmm. it was an amazing experience but yeah it's it's interesting because every time we get together and go climbing we have a lot of discussions about it and we have a lot of reflection on it and a lot of my climbing since then and a lot of my life since then has really been in light of that uh that incident and that week yeah so this is a great leadway into our next section as you know i always like to talk about lessons learned what went well and what didn't in hopes that somebody else will take something else 
or something from this podcast. Um, you want people to educate themselves um, and learn from others. So let's start with things that went well. What what are the things that you think that you guys did that, that actually saved you? I think definitely to keep moving, uh, at least in our situation, uh, at least when we knew that there wasn't any damage to anybody that would prevent them from moving, to keep going, to keep together, I think was very important to stay together. I can't tell what would have happened if we did separate, but I still to this day believe that, that mm-hmm. staying together increased our chances of of, of getting out of getting up. I think our decision to go up was a good decision, even though a lot of people have said, well, you should have gone down. You know, you had a person who was sick and there was no way he would get better mm-hmm. upon going up. But I do think that going down would have put us in more danger. And I was also thinking about a possible rescue party that would have to come up and mm-hmm get us off of the ridge that they would be in danger so i think it could have become a really bad situation and i like to interject here because we always say when when you get lost on or when you're getting rescued you should stay put and not move but this was a completely different situation we we you, did we did try to stay yeah but close. you guys didn't really have an option to stay put you were not right. safe where you were right yeah i think we did spend the day waiting you know kind of knowing that they were looking for us but once our tent was gone and we just didn't really have a good place and right. we knew that the ice was falling, we knew that we should not really stay in a place where it wasn't safe. Right, yeah. right. I, I just wanted to like point out that in the other situations, if you are lost and people are looking for you, you should stay put. Yeah, as far as what went well, you know, we nobody blamed anyone. Nobody ever was rude or uh you know we really try to keep up morale as much as we could and i think that's very important in the mountains Mm -hmm. and try to come through when everybody else was feeling down somebody would try to come through and be that person who pulls everybody else back to you know a better state of mind that is so important because freaking out or or arguing is not gonna change the situation it's gonna make it worse it's only gonna make it worse exactly so staying calm as much as possible i think and i think especially vasily as a leader Mm. i think he he stayed as calm as possible through everything that was happening around yeah it's a lot of composure. All right. So what would you do differently now that you look back? Uh, I'm thinking probably, you know, from the very beginning, not taking the one of the most difficult routes on the mountain with a person who has no experience mm-hmm. on the mountain. And I think I've, I've tried to follow through on that since and mm-hmm. get acclimated get to know a mountain get to know a region get to know the weather before attempting anything technical or anything hard or anything that can put you in danger mm-hmm. probably also uh maybe we ignored some warning signs like the warm temperatures and rockfall pretty early on mm-hmm. you know when we got to thumb rock and we decided to push on Maybe seeing that rockfall even before the sun came out should have been a, a warning that 
that things are not stable, that definitely the storm, you know, hoping that we could beat the storm, that we could mm-hmm. outclimb the storm. So give ample room to that system to develop because it always develops faster than, than you think. And you just don't want to bet on being able to beat it. Right. I think maybe also it's important to know a worst case scenario happens. Like really know what you're going to be doing so that you can just go through with it and not lose time. Mm. I think, and not always followed this advice even since, but we know that something might happen, but we still focus on how are we going to make this successful. Mm. And we don't really spend much as much time as we should thinking about what are we going to do if it's not successful? Mm-hmm. If, you, you can't really dwell on it, so you have to be able to move past it. But I, I've been trying to spend more time with my team, with my uh, friends and partners, just talking about that and being prepared. Being have a flight plan in place. Yeah. And then gear-wise, uh, do you think that you were missing gear or you were just fine? Or uh, I wish I had warmer boots. Mm-hmm. I definitely wish I had, you know, because I had planned on going really fast. So I, I had my light mountaineering mm-hmm. boots. I wish more of us had some kind of a GPS or mm-hmm. in-reach device. You we, only had one GPS after yours blew away? We had like a mini, yeah, like a mini GPS mm-hmm. and... Even the GPS I had was an older one. It didn't have any kind of communication. Mm. I think it might have an SOS button, uh, that older one, but nothing like an inReach where you can actually send a message. So ever since I've been carrying an inReach with me, that actually we'll probably talk about my friends uh, put together some money and and they got me this, uh, folks from Mountain Rescue, mm. Portland Mountain Rescue. And uh, yeah, I've been carrying them. I've been encouraging other people to carry them. Mm. Learning some things too. A uh, very recent tri- trip, it was three people. We all had inReach devices. None of us had each other's addresses. Oh. And when one person kind of walked off in a different direction that the other two of us did, we didn't have any way of reaching them so after that we just exchanged our addresses mm-hmm. uh so i've kind of been trying to do that with everybody yeah so communication i think is being able mm-hmm. to communicate is is very important mm-hmm. gear wise um it's a little bit hard when you're trying to do something fast to mm-hmm. bring extra gear yeah i think just plan for things going wrong and what's the minimum gear you can have mm-hmm. if something goes wrong so you have after accidents, um, when they make news, um, there is always an armchair critic who will be very negative and, and all that. But I want to mention something really good that happened with our uh, community, climbing community here. I know that they uh, rallied up and helped you after that. Can you talk about that? Because that's super positive. And the community always supports Portland Mountain Rescue. And just, it's just an amazing community. Yeah, the community was incredible. After we came back was the hardest time for for all of us mm. who experienced this uh, when Vasily and I talk about the accident. We always say that compared to what we felt and went through afterwards, the accident itself was was almost n- nothing. Mm. Because we, we came back having lost something that was incredibly important to us. 
part of our identities, <clears throat> vision for our lives and our abilities. And yes, there were armchair critics uh, that affected the other people on the East Coast, very unfortunately. However, I think I got very lucky with the community here because I got nothing but support and most, you know, almost over the top offerings and, and people were there for me. Uh, Nick was Nick Maslin, the president of PMR. Mm -hmm. He was there to drive me to the hospital. Mari and, and, uh, David and Micah and Paige and Chris, uh, also folks from Portland Mountain Rescue and other climbers and, a number of other uh, amazing climbers. They put together a GoFundMe campaign to replace the gear I've lost. Mm. And they they got me an inReach. They got me a backpack. Uh, and they were just around me all the time. My friend Elena, who now lives in California, but mm. she, she did a lot for uh, just trying to bring people in. And there were so many people that I didn't even know who reached out uh, from the Mazama Mountaineering Club here in Portland. Mm -hmm. And just just people that I would meet afterwards who offered kind words and understanding and mm -hmm. cared and, and just were ready to bring whatever I needed at the time from the psychological support to the physical support. What an amazing, amazing community. I'm really proud to be part of it. Yeah, I'm very lucky, mm -hmm. especially looking at how the reaction to my friends on the East Coast mm -hmm. has been. And actually people from our community here reached out to my friends on the East Coast mm -hmm. and tried to, you know, help them and make sure they were okay. Yeah. Um, I have a friend, Matt Sundling, kept asking about the folks on the East Coast for years afterwards. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, we are... We have an amazing community in climbing and rescue and um, yeah, just, just amazing. Wow. What a story. Yeah, I can't thank you enough. Um, I mean, it, it really takes a bravery and, and good spirit and, and uh, you know, being humble to come and talk about this whole ordeal. Um, thank you. Thank you so much. I know um, somebody will take something out of it. And I really, really appreciate you coming here. No, I really appreciate the time and I do hope that folks out there are staying safe and yeah, pursuing their dreams and make sure you're, uh, you're always in agreement with yourself and with your surroundings and what and, you're pursuing. Yeah. And listen to the mountains. Listen to the mountains. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in today. If you haven't already, please follow us on Facebook under Portland Mountain Rescue. You can also find us on Instagram under PMR, or you can visit our website at pmru.org. You can also find us on YouTube under Portland Mountain Rescue.